Rather than waiting for the agile industry to tell you what happens next, why not define the future? Stand out in your workplace, accelerate your career or your personal growth, or maybe build your own agile enterprise. I'm pleased to announce that The Forge is now accepting applications for the 2021 cohort. The Forge is a year-long online immersive leadership experience. You'll join me live in the classroom once a week, and you'll have access to bi-weekly, one-on-one personal coaching and on-the-job support from me. Learn to be visionary, disciplined, gritty, and resilient. Learn to have the confidence, certainty, the influence you need to lead others into innovation and change. This is not about learning Scrum or framework skills. It's about the skills they don't teach you in Scrum Master School. There's no other training experience like this in the market. We're creating a generation of heroes, an elite tribe of leaders. I'm looking forward to starting your journey through the forge. Reach out at contact at badassagile.com to find out more. Welcome to Agile in Toronto at night, a badass agile show. This is the place where you go behind the scenes and into the minds and conversations of some of the city's greatest agile thinkers and leaders. My guest this week is Sue Johnson. Sue is a communication specialist who has an interesting and varied background from journalism to psychology to agile coaching. She's also another one of those people that everyone on the scene seems to know. And she's the author of the book, Talk to Me, Workplace Conversations That Work. So why not grab a chair? Our table's ready. Time to pour a drink and meet our friend, Sue Johnson. Sue, how are you? I am just brilliant. Chris, how are you? I'm great. I'm very happy to meet you. How are things? Things are really great. I have had a beautiful day and I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to be here with you as well. It took a long, it took a lot of uh, <laughs> technical goofing around to get here, didn't it? Didn't it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's really funny because, you know, here we are, we both kind of work in the tech industry and, and I'm cursing going, oh, I hate tech. I hate tech. <laughs> I work in the music and audio engineering uh, industry too. So don't feel bad. Mm. Listen, Sue, I'm happy we got a chance to sit down. Let's have a cheer, shall we? Yeah. All right, here we go. To you. (laughs) Sue, I've learned a little bit about you. We have some friends in common, but I've never worked with you. Yeah, Um, I thought that was weird. I know, right? Uh, And the sad part is, though, that even though we can both claim to have worked in Toronto, you're no longer there. You've moved away. I have. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Prince Edward Island right now. I've been here for a month and a half or so. And it's a whole new experience, I'll tell you. How's it treating you? Like it? Uh, Yeah, there's like, if you drive around, there is relentless beauty in all directions. Wow. Uh, Whether it's farmland or the coast or the beach or... Yeah, it's we went for a walk in the woods today. Oh. So it's really, really a beautiful, quiet, and very calm place so far for me. Um, I envy you. It sounds wonderful. It is so far, yeah. So l- let me hear about what you do. Well, that changes from day to day. That's what <laughs> I want to hear because it's not yeah. just you're not just a coach or a scrum master, but you still are agile. So I'd love to hear your unique take. 
Yeah, so the the whole agile thing is is something that I kind of landed in because I was already a coach. And I had uh, uh, friends that were based in Guelph and in Toronto who took me to an agile event. It was uh, agile coach camp actually. It was a long time ago. It was in Ottawa, and uh, I, I was very doubtful that this could come off. How can you have a conference when you don't know who's speaking or what they're talking about? And okay. Anyway, I was there about five minutes and started talking to people and. I thought, oh wow, I have found my tribe. Because they were smart, techie people who were trying to make the world a better place by working in, you know, business, which sometimes isn't really famous for trying to make the world a better place. So it was a really interesting crowd. And um, Lisa Adkins was there, and I went to her uh, and I said, uh, this is really interesting to me, how do I play in this space? And she said, well, you know, we can't really teach them to be agile, seeing as how <clears throat> you didn't know what it was before yesterday, <laughs> but you can teach them to coach. And this is back in the days when we, we didn't have very many agile coaches. There was Lisa and then there was me. Okay. <laughs> so, or people teaching it. So uh, I waited for a while and I started an online s school to, to teach coaches online um, I didn't want to do it in person because I didn't want to compete with her oh really okay <laughs> yeah and so I started this online thing I think it was 2013 and I had you know my first class was my friends and ah, a couple of other people I've done that and, uh, I've been there yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and uh, and what's really interesting is that a lot of these people who were my early people are some of the they're like the bright lights in the agile community now and I kind of go oh I'm so happy to see them being successful. That's wonderful. So, yeah. And at, at this point, or maybe describe the arc of your career since then, did you get to a point where you're doing corporate agile coaching or coaching um, agile coaches? Or how did, how did it play out to where you are now? I primarily have been doing training. Okay. Um, and and mentoring coaches, but, but primarily training. So the, the coaching started and then somebody said, oh, I need you to teach product owners. And I'm going, I don't do that. And then they said, well, <laughs> you're all I have. And I went, okay. <laughs> and so I dug down into product ownership and we dug down into facilitation. And um, I had been a trainer many, many years before. I had worked in the banks and I had been a trainer at TD and also at Bank of Montreal. So I was used to, you know, having to be one page ahead of everybody else um, on new stuff and, and reading everything there was to read and talking to people. Now, and was this, sorry to interrupt, was this coaching that you were do, teaching or was you teaching was tech teaching, or what were you teaching? I was teaching people basically how to talk to each other. That's what this really? all is really about. If we, if we think about um, the, the core of Agile, if we think about it, is really about communication. It's about people working together, people collaborating. It's about speaking truth to power sometimes oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. knowing how to do that without ruining your career or offending people. It's about, uh, it's, a, it's a whole communication thing. And I had been for years, like years and years and years, I had been working as a communicator. I started as a journalist. And then I got into corporate communication. And so this whole, I see everything through a filter of, or a lens of, of communication. So 
you know, whether it's product ownership or facilitation or coaching, it, it's always about people and interactions. And so that's kind of the focus for me is really interactions. And when I read the Agile Manifesto, when I went in individuals and interactions over processes and tools, I kind of went, yeah, this is where I belong. This is my thing. When you are coaching people, I think one of the biggest things that people want to learn how to do is how to speak to leaders and speak like a leader. And you just mentioned speaking mm. truth to power. Without giving away your whole online course for free, what are some of the things that <laughs> <laughs> some of the things it's that twelve you, weeks? All right. <laughs> and I imagine I can understand why, but someone who is newly minted or even seasoned as a scrum master coach or, or other agile professional may be way behind the curve in terms of their professional communication, their leader communication. Were there any tips that you would have for them? They might be listening today, uh, you know, books they should read, things they should practice. Um, how do you get them started? Okay. Okay. This is a person who's not coming to the course. The first thing I would do is have them read uh, Leading Geeks, which, <laughs> which is a fabulous book. <laughs> by a guy named Paul Glenn. It's an older book. I think it's from the I think it's from the zeros. And uh, it's really about the difference between people who have a an analytical, literal brain that, you know, goes very sequentially and the rest of the world. So whether you are a geek or you're working with geeks, if we are in this industry, this is important. And it's about how different brains work. So that's one. Another another book that they should read I can't say enough good things about it, is um, Michael Bungay Stanier's book, um, The Coaching Habit. Yes. It, it's pretty much my course, all in one book. And when I read that book, I thought, my goodness, did we go to the same school or what? Because everything that he talks about is something that I have taught, especially the and what else question, which was interesting because when you're getting somebody to talk about something and you kind of go, you want them to keep talking. And I learned this as a reporter. And what else? And what else? Is there more? And um, the more people talk, the more clearly they are in their own heads about what it is they're trying to say and how they think. So that's one thing. And then the, the but the most important thing I think for communication is to listen. Yes. And to really listen, like we're listening for what are they saying and what does it mean to them. There's all kinds of ways to listen. I mean, sometimes we just pretend to listen. We're going nodding and mm-hmm. Sometimes we're listening for the next opportunity to jump in. Sometimes we're listening for uh, what does this mean to me? But those are all listening from our perspective and from our point of view. When we start listening from their point of view, then we're really listening. And we're listening for the tone and we're listening for what does this mean for them? What is this, you know, is there emotion around this? How, you know, we're really listening for them for what does this mean? And so that's the big thing for me anyway, is to try to get people to listen rather than try to be smart. There's a real, I'm not sure what to call it, but there's a kind of, I'm not sure arrogance is the right word, but amongst some of the people that I've run into in the Agile community, there's a bit of a, our way is right. <laughs> These guys are not doing it right. Therefore, they're stupid. Or therefore, you know, there's a sort of disdain for people who may or may not even be their clients that, you know, there's just kind of, we're right, we got the right thing. 
And, and a little humility goes a long, long way. It Especially does. if you're talking to executives who have all kinds of stuff going on that we don't know about. What do you mean by that? What kind of stuff? Well, well okay, so imagine that we're a software team and we're building software and we have the goal and we have this, but the person that's hired us to do this also has to deal with budgets and customers and you know all of the other things that go with running a business we have a, p- a part of it and it may be hard and it may be you know super challenging and it may be super important and mission critical but there's other stuff that we don't know about right and, so and so the, the other thing I would say is learn about business learn about your business and learn about bi- how business works that makes perfect sense you that you open two doors one is an executive, believe it or not, has better things, more things to worry about yeah. than your JIRA problem. So they're, <laughs> they're dealing with a whole bunch of things that you can't see or appreciate. But at the same time, you can't be a coach without acknowledging the fact that they also have an emotional background, that they have a history, that they have a, you know, they have issues, they have bills to pay, they have challenges and concerns that you won't know about because it's exactly not part of the conversation normally. So that's where the modern concept of empathy, I think, fits mm-hmm. in, is that sometimes we have to remember that you don't know what their story yeah. is. Now, there's... And then be curious about that. Of course, of course. Like, the more curious, the more curious we are about what's going on for them, the more likely they are to tell us. Yeah, and, so tell me if this is yeah. true for you. Do you find that when you're open, genuine, and available, and good at what you do, that all of a sudden they start asking you for help that you didn't really advertise? Yeah, and and it, and it can happen to anybody if they see that you're a good listener and you're on their side. So I'll go back many years. So before I ever heard of Agile, I was working at one of the large Canadian banks, and I was actually working on a project that was early XP, but we didn't know it was going to become Agile and it was going to be a thing and I'd be ever again sure. in it. But but people who I would say outranked me by four levels would come and ask for advice. Not so much ask for advice, but bounce ideas off me. And I could never figure out why. I mean, these people were executives and I was just a senior manager. and. Um, but I realized that it was because I was curious about what they were doing and I was curious about their pain and the decisions they were having to make and so they would be in my office at six o'clock at night telling me their stories and and it was you know because of that that I got information that helped me do my job I got information that helped me help other people do their jobs and that when you talk about empathy that's the that and listening are the key, I think. And they're both practiced skills, aren't they? Yeah, and anyone can learn them. Mm-hmm. And the more the more you do it, the more you get better. Yeah. I have a the question, whole, yeah. if I may. That you may. Listening is a critical component, but there are also times, especially in Agile, where we have to learn how to push harder to keep yeah. executives, who are often our senior, from making mistakes that we know are mistakes that we don't want them to make and find out the hard way. Yeah. Uh, mindset change is often cited as one of the biggest causes of agile failure when we fail to change minds. So that requires getting an executive. This is not about listening to the executive, but eventually getting them to getting do them something. Getting to listen to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where's the difference? Is that a different skill set? Yeah, it's, well, if you've built the relationship, then 
they're more likely to listen to you, mm -hmm. right? But one of the things that I've been been looking at lately is, you know, why why do some of these projects fail? And it's partly because we don't create realistic expectations. And it's not always us who are the ones who created that. It may have been somebody who came in from outside, a vendor or whatever, that, you know, or they may have read an article in the Harvard Business Review or Sloan or something like that, and they're expecting this magic bullet, or they've read that it has to be Kanban, or it has to be done this way, or it has to be scrum or safe or whatever. And so they confuse the tool or the process or the you know, with the, what are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? How is this going to help us? And sometimes they change things, we change things, and we don't even know what we're doing now. Yes, that's true. That's true. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult because you can be in an organization sometimes and they go, oh, well, this Agile thing isn't really working. It was better when, when we had project management. And then you kind of go like, what were you doing when you were doing project management? Well, you know, did you have, a, at a glance, could you see what the status of a thing was? Well, no, not really. And I mean, all the questions that we can ask about, you know, knowing about a, pro, a pro project, um, we didn't. They didn't have it then either, and so you know we're 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 trying to we need to find ways to let people understand have more realistic expectations of what they're doing and making sure that you know we're not just trying to be good at agile that we're looking at business results. Yeah, that's the new thing I find that we have to repeat the conversation that there's yeah. no being agile is not a means to an end. There's no good mm -mm. in being agile for agile's sake. The good of having agile is that it's supposed to put more focus on a customer mm -hmm. or or company outcome, you know, some something visionary, something we aspire to be. Agile is supposed to help us get there. But yeah. in and of itself, installing it is not useful. It's and like, we have to be, Go ahead. We have, we have to be really careful that we don't, you know, get all dogmatic because you know we do our you know we read up we take our little scrum course we take our little whatever course coach course whatever and then suddenly we become zealots for this way of doing it where we're measuring how agile are we when we really should be measuring how effective is this thing that we're building and I don't know whether we have to move our focus from from, I mean, we moved our, our focus from process, from project to product. It may need to move to outcome. I think that may be the evolution of, of Agile. Yeah, because even the product doesn't necessarily guarantee mm. an outcome. The outcome, mm -hmm. you know, I think we focus too much on solutions because we're solutions people, we're solutions mm -hmm. experts. People say, I have a problem. You say, great, I have a solution. But yeah. I didn't necessarily know that that solution had to be technical. Yeah. I didn't know it required a new product in the marketplace. Maybe it's simply yeah. two people handshaking and agreeing to do things differently or to shortcut a process or to eliminate something. Yeah. Um, now, so that's you, maybe about situational awareness. Like instead of, you know, there's that famous saying about if, every, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, we have our hammer, our dogma, whatever it is. Um, if we haven't haven't analyzed the situation correctly, we will recommend, you know, just slam it. Where your handshake story, or you know, the have a have a phone call, 
is maybe the right solution. Well, it, it could be even as simple as we've lost the art of going to lunch every day and sitting in the mm. food court and talking to the people at the next table. So guys mm. who are traders don't even work for your company. Say, hey, let me ask you a question. If you yeah. had a process that did this, that, and the other thing, I know you're not technical. What would you do to fix it? And they say, well, there's a guy you can call. And you'd be like, really? Can I have his number? Like, you never know what yeah. can come out of conversations with people who are not locked in the same black box as you. Yeah. And of course, with COVID now, we're not in the food court. <laughs> exactly. There's no food court. Isn't that a shame? Now, I know yeah. you, you said that when you were uh, working as a coach, now you've had multiple careers as a journalist, mm -hmm. as, a, as a coach. You, when you met your Agile tribe, you kind of knew, but in co for coaching in general, when did you hit a point where you realized, no, nope, um, I'm not serving enough by being a journalist or I want to serve differently? Yeah. Like, how did you know that this is how you wanted to make your impact? It's, it's, it's a little bit that and it's a little bit difference but I was doing my masters I was doing an MBA in communication management I was living in a country where I couldn't work and I was at Royal Roads uh, which is in Victoria doing this this university piece and I was really working hard on looking at communication and how communication happened in organizations and the more I was looking at tools and can, can, you know vehicles and stuff the more I realized it's the impact the important communication that goes on inside of an organization is talking to each other, the interactions. So I'm in there and I'm studying this thing, but I realize that there's more to it. And I read a book, and you mentioned empathy before, I, re I read a book by Daniel Goleman um, called Quiet... Oh, what was it called? It wasn't Quiet, it was... Yeah, Quiet Leadership. No, that was that's David Rock. What is it called? Anyway, it was his second book. He wrote, he wrote Emotional Intelligence and then he wrote this book, which was uh, about leadership and empathy and emotional intelligence. And, you know, it's in a bookshelf downstairs, otherwise I get it, but it's, it's Daniel Goleman's book. And um, uh, I realized that that was what was missing and that was what I wanted to do. So I studied everything I could about emotional intelligence. This is like 2000 and three or something. I'm banging on doors trying to sell emotional intelligence. Nobody wants to talk to me. Now, everybody knows what it is and everybody cares, or not everybody, but most people. So we're ready to talk about emotions. In those days, we weren't. Was but it primal, that, primal Leadership? Primal Leadership, that's it, yeah. It was a fa it's a fabulous book. It still holds up today. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's uh it, it changed, it, I would say it changed my life. It changed my trajectory for sure. Um, I knew that I would be coming back to Canada and I would um, want to work. And so I trained up as a coach um, because I had the time and I had friends who encouraged me. Um, at the time, my husband was working for a company that had coaches for their sales force. Oh yeah. And I got to know that coach. And it, I mean, it was notionally for the sales force to help them sell better, but it was really how to make them more effective leaders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the whole, the whole thing is about how we interact with each other. Be kind, be caring, and, and be listening. It's bananas that we still need help with that, isn't it? When you I think know. About it, it's, it's basic stuff. I mean, talk about primal leadership. The word primal yeah. means that this is has got to be built into us, and yet it's, we struggle with it so much. Yeah. Now, in all these years of doing the job, 
Nothing about human fundamentals has really changed. I think you'll agree. But of course, all the, all the tools and technologies are changing around us. And yet there's this frustrating feeling that we're still not getting it, especially in large groups, especially in large organizations. We're still mm -hmm. missing the point. What, what bothers you or pisses you off about what you do every day? What would you change if you could? Um, I don't know whether it's because I am ancient or whether it's because I've had such a variety of experiences, but I'm, I, I've realized that my, I am way more successful when I don't try to change people. Um, I kind of meet them where they are. That's a coachy way of saying, you know, just sort of see how they are. Let's start where, at the, on the path we're on. Um, and listen and be curious and be always learning. And so I think what, what worries me about the business world right now, and I've, I've been out of her for a couple of months because I've been kind of traveling and moving and stuff, but um, is that we seem not to learn and we seem to stop learning once we get to that job we think we wanted, right? So we get our, our certification in whatever, or we become an engineer, or we get the job as a, as a director, but we don't seem to keep curious about it, or I don't know, there just seems to be a missing, I think the missing thing is, is humility, curiosity, and a, a, a willingness to Keep learning. And the thing about when you continue to learn, you become more confident. And, and it's almost a, you know, a, a paradox. But the more you understand that you've got to learn, the more confident you can be in what you actually know and share that. That doesn't sound like it made sense, but... No, it did make sense. I, I, I have a challenge. I, I want to poke a, maybe a hole in it, but let me dent that up a little bit. Okay. You, you mentioned... That you don't want to change people, and yet, mm -hmm. if you if you also believe that we should remain curious about the human condition, a person who's curious about themselves, their gaps, their blind spots, especially the things that they can't see, in a sense, will change themselves if they're uh -huh. successful at the discovery. No, and that's where it starts. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I hadn't remembered that but yeah it all starts with you so the more willing I am to be vulnerable or to be curious or to be listening and do or whatever it is I feel I need to do the more likely I am to be successful with someone else it may not change them but it will certainly improve the interaction but yeah I change myself yeah as a coach as a growing coach we all have to yeah. I, I wonder so let me rephrase the question i always like to ask it is who would you shake the hell out of if you could but maybe a better way to ask it is what is our industry knowing what you know about coaching and the human yeah. condition what's the agile industry really need well i think it needs oh yeah i don't want to hmm. i've had a lot of conversations around the whole um humility, arrogance thing. I think we need to recognize that Agile is a great thing, but it isn't the only thing. And it's part of something bigger. And that if we go back to the values and the principles, instead of worrying about 
you know, whether people are doing their stand-ups right and whether their stickies are moving or not, um, we would see that that it's all about, it's all about being good to each other. And, and that was kind of, for me and for many of the people that I know in the Agile community, that's what was attractive about it, was that it emphasized the people and the, and the, and the way we work together. And it also pushed the decision-making to the people who actually knew what they were doing. I'm not seeing that. I mean, a lot of my, my students have come from large organizations in Toronto. And, and I see how wonderful they are and what they're trying to do. And then I hear the stories about what they're dealing with in terms of, you know, the way that the way decisions are made and the way it takes forever to get decisions made. And, you know, we had a reorg, so we have a new boss, so we have, you know, a whole new way of working now. I think we have to start recognizing that we have to go back to the values and principles and really understand what they mean and what do they mean now. Because we know what they meant when the boys, you know, sat around and dreamed them up. But, you know, what do they mean for us today? It's interesting you mentioned that because, and I hope it pleases you to know this, that because you care so much about other people and the relationships and the individual growth and the communications, you show up as a person who is empathetic, a person who is trustworthy, a person who can drive that kind of change. There's just something about you, the way that you show up, the way you speak, that deeply reflects those values that you hold. And yeah. I think if we just teach people that, that if you, it all starts with vision and what you stand for. And if you know where you're going and you know what you will and won't do and will and won't accept, it makes everyday decisions so much easier. You don't really have oh. to think about it. You don't have to do any sort of calculus. You can just do what your heart tells you, basically. I wish I'd said that. That's beautiful, Chris. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm three scotches in. So <laughs> I'm only one gin in. Yeah, so see, that's why go. that's why I got to it first. That's the only reason I got to it first. <laughs> I don't think so. But it's beautiful because because we when we show up as ourselves, we usually do a better job too. Bingo. Right? Yeah. And when we're pretending I've been coaching some a lovely person recently and and this individual is trying to you know behave like the job they want. Which is what everyone tells you. And I kind of get, wouldn't it just be way better to just be yourself? And trying to get that person to find that inner specialness that sets them apart is what we've been working on. And, and it's starting to show up. But there's so many of us, especially when we're kind of in our 20s and maybe in our 30s, we're on a path and we, we walk the way we need think we need to walk and we talk the way we think we need to talk and we wear the shoes and you know whatever and and I think what the world respects and I think what business is starting to respect is is our uniqueness and it tends to come full circle that if you just come from a place of authenticity and uniqueness and everything becomes easier there's less stress you don't have you don't have to pretend to be a, a, an uber confident person and as you travel through the world and gain experience you become that confident person because you had the courage to be authentic yeah that's the paradox you become like <laughs> super expert by 
just being yourself That's right. and staying curious. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, what do you think then could be next for our industry? Because as a, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you believe that all agile coaches should know coaching as a yeah, profession, yeah. as a competency. We don't need more frameworks at this point. That's not going to help things. <clears throat> and in fact, we may even argue that sometimes it works against us as a large organization. So, so what could we really use in terms of next steps, in terms of growth as a practice? I would, um, like I'm seeing a lot of agile coaches running around getting professional coach training and certification. What I would really like to see them doing more is helping build coaching cultures inside the organizations that they're in. And by that I mean a situation where everybody can coach everybody, where we are in a place where we can be honest with each other, feedback is expected, feedback is done well, feedback is invited. And um, where we all benefit from helping each other be the best they can be without it being annoying or without it being somebody's special job. Um, mm -hmm. That you know, there's there's quite a lot of work being done now in the in the professional coaching world about trying to build coaching cultures. And it, but but the professional coaching world is kind of confused right now as it tries to figure out how to work in organizations and make more money. Um, I can be kind of cynical about it, and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sad about that, but it's, you know, it's one of the things that's happening. But I think that if we can figure out a way that... I, I had a teacher uh, when I was first learning to coach, his name was Dave Buck, and he, he had a vision of everybody as a coach. Just everybody is one, everybody has one, everybody has those skills of curiosity and listening and asking questions and being quiet while other people share um, that could create a better world. I think it could too. It's important to remember that when we say everyone can coach, coaching is not about giving counsel. No. Co coaching is about listening and helping people arrive at their own answers for the most part. So when you look yeah. at it that way, it's easy to understand why everyone should be a coach. Yeah, and that whole um, giving out advice, I mean, the, the advice, advice monster sometimes comes out, right? And you have to just deal with that thing and kind of go, why am I talking? <laughs> That's right. What should I be asking? <laughs> There's, um, there, in your mind, are there any opportunities that have come up, any revelations because of COVID-19? I feel it's been a gift in so many ways. What are your thoughts? It's interesting because I have been working. I have been working from home since the 90s, right. as a corporate teleworker and then as an independent person. So, what was surprising to me was how easily I adjusted to that, and um, my life didn't change very much myself. But for for people that are more extroverted, the the need for connection is super super big, and Zoom is not doing it for us. And um, one of the things I think we need to do is reach out for no reason a whole lot more. Um, this conversation that you and I are having, for example, we never met each other before. Right. Mm -hmm. And here we are having like a really nice conversation about the future of work and various other things. And I think we need to, to do more and more of that. And I, 
in a way that's more spontaneous and less organized. I mean, later this week, I'll be, you know, on a meetup and I'll be the person leading the conversation. I'm kind of going like, how do we get it so that it's more organic and less structured? And it goes right back to the interactions over process. That's true. I've recently made a habit of just reaching out to people and saying, hey, we haven't spoken in a long time. You, yeah. You're on my LinkedIn. I see you every day, but we never talk. I'm just curious. How are things? How'd, how'd that job change that. go for you? It's been a year, you know, just three different people a week and just have a little five minute conversation and say, would you be willing to get on the phone for 15 yeah. minutes to catch up or uh, just letting people know that they're thought of because right now I think everyone feels like they're in a box. Oh my goodness, yes. And especially with the people who are in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and, and I, I mean, you're someone I meet when I talk at conferences, right? He's not someone who's a particularly close friend, but for some reason we connected on Zoom and you know, listening to what's going on in his state, in his town, was, I mean, I knew it was going on, but I didn't sort of see the passion that's underneath it for, you know, how awful it is for some of them. And, um, yeah, so I think we, I think we need to find the people that are in places that <laughs> need cheering. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's not even people directly affected by the disease, but there's, you know, I was I was driving the other day and someone cut me off and I found myself getting unusually angry and upset and that's not who I want to be. And I thought, well, yeah. where, where, I'm going to take a look at that. Where'd that come from? Because I'm not yeah. used to not being in control of my responses. And in that moment, I noticed there was just eh, something, you know, people yeah. seem a little less kind even here up here in good old Canada. Yeah, it's funny. Where I'm living, of course, we have the Atlantic bubble. And so people are still wearing masks, whether it's not even the law here, but stores ask for it, people are doing it. People are pretty pretty good about staying away. And, and, and I'm, and I'm kind of going, we're so blessed here. How do we, how do we get that feeling continuing, and it may just be here, I don't know, but um, how do we keep it continuing when this is over? Do you think a bigger city creates an unnatural sense of pressure that mm, contributes sure to the does. intolerance? Yeah. How has yeah. it, it been for you moving out east and being well, way more isolated yeah. than you used well, to be? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because all of the things that you usually do when you move, and I've moved all around different places, but all the things you usually do when you move are close to us right now. There's no choirs, there's no theater, there's no clubs, there's no, nothing's happening. Everything's shut down, no matter where you are. And, um, and so I am really lucky that I have this great online world um, through several professions, coaches, communicators, um, and the agile community that I can reach out to and stay connected with. I even have music people that I'm, you know, having. I'm having voice lessons from a girl in Waterloo, and I'm singing in a choir that doesn't perform in Guelph. <laughs> so we're doing these. We're doing these things to stay connected. It's not the same, and yet it's honoring the human. And I think that if we can keep that. If we can feel the importance of honoring the human when we can meet face to face again, that's going to be really powerful. I'm going to tell a story and go into a topic area that I normally yeah. wouldn't. Two things. One, I was a guitar player since I was seven years old. My father, mm. my father used to play. 
And all, of course, when you're seven, all you want to do is be like your dad. So oh, I yeah. learned to play and went through a couple of, you know, Royal Conservatory music, didn't really care for it. Found this cool guy named James who taught in Oshawa at a place called the Music Lesson Place. And he's, you know, he would teach me ACDC and Rush songs. So I liked them. Uh. But for whatever reason, I didn't like the owner, had a little falling out. And I ended up, that was the last guitar lesson I ever took. I was self-taught from that age. Well, I found out six months ago, he lives in my town here. So I started taking lessons with him again. Not because I have a ton that I want to, need to learn. You should always be learning, of course, as a musician. But because I wanted to just honor the fact that he got me one of the greatest gifts that I ever had. Yeah. The constant companion of a musical instrument. Now, so that's one thing. That's one way. If you're feeling isolated and stuck, reach out to someone who made an impact on you years ago and see if you can't pick up that mentor-mentee relationship where you left off. But the other thing is, again, and I never talk about this, but I went to opera school for a while at Royal Conservatory Music and I'm fascinated with microphones. no, no (laughs) No one who makes as many podcasts as I do can't be fascinated with them but again those go back to memories of my father and a microphone and i was probably three years old how important do you think voice is to leadership right Mm, that's four scotches that's (laughs) That's another whole podcast Uh man yeah i still take voice lessons I am never going to perform again as a soloist. And yet, it's about feeling the power of your voice, feeling that you're presenting your real voice to people when you sing or when you speak. And um, I hadn't thought about the power of voice, but um, it's, yeah. Well, I two... used to sing in Italy. We, we used oh, wow. to do these cabaret things, and it wasn't opera at all in Italy. We were singing cabaret, but um, it happened to be in Italy because that's where the people were. But um, the leader's voice was one of the topics that always came up year after year. was how do we lead with our voice? How do we, how do we bring our voice into the world beyond music? Well, there's two aspects to it. One is the, you know, the words you choose... The, the tone of your voice, but also the inflection and the tonality of the things you say. When you say a certain person, meaning certain confident person, uses certain words and tones that a person who's not confident doesn't have access to or doesn't, doesn't employ. So tonality matters. And if you can learn those, that's important. But voice to me also means your unique perspective. And I think it's so important to have a voice that is different from everybody else's, because if all you do is speak the same things that they're talking in every safe class, every scrum class, every magazine, every publication, every podcast, as a matter of fact, you're not advancing the craft. So if I I were to ask you, what is your unique voice? What do you think it might be? Oh my goodness. Because I was, I had a segue there to, you know, something I'm doing later this week, and that was my last slide, was that we need new voices and we need the older voices to be saying new things. And, and so your question falls right into that. Um, my unique voice is, I really haven't thought about it really. I kind of want to, well, my, a slogan that I met up a long, long time ago, and I still believe in it, 
um, was to change, um, change the world through communication, like one conversation at a time. And the other thing that I tried to leave my life by, and I'm not sure I do a very good job of it all the time, but was to be light and help others be that way. So to bring that lightness um, about things, not to not take it seriously, but to try to keep, and it isn't Pollyanna, and it isn't just be an optimist, it's like to try to be as light as possible around things so, and help others be that way too. But, but to change the world one conversation at a time, I think is what I stand for. That's a good one. Yeah. You put that on your website right now, it's ready to go. It's already there. It's been for oh, years. Is it? Okay. All right. <laughs> it is true, though, that when you help people get what they want and become who they most wish to become, all the other outcomes you could hope for are a natural byproduct. Do you believe that? I do. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. One last question. You've been away from Toronto for three, four months now? Oh, I was never living in Toronto. I came in from Waterloo mm, to do my true. work. True. Um, but, yeah. So keep going. <laughs> so you've been away from the big-ish, you know, the GTA-esque, you know. Oh, my goodness. Really, yeah. Waterloo's still a technical hub. And oh, now yeah. you're in a much more austere, perhaps pastoral environment, certainly less <laughs> densely populated. I don't know where you live exactly, but. but Summerside. You're what, right. Okay. <laughs> what, do you miss about, what do you miss about being in the hub? Am I allowed to say nothing yep. except the people? Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the people that I knew and loved... I miss them deeply, but all of the hubbub and the noise and the smell and the confusion and the bicycles that come out of nowhere and the traffic and the 401 highway, <laughs> all of those things, especially the 401 highway. <laughs> I mean, the speed limit on the island, the highest speed limit we have here, 90 kilometers an hour. That's incredible. That would not you hold you. You gotta here. love it. Yeah, that wouldn't well, work. No. Here. People drive on Young Street that fast, but yeah. So, so I, I miss the people, I'm, and I some of them particularly. You know, I used to come in for the meetups in Toronto on Saturdays, Ardita's meetups. I used to, you know, come in for the Thursday meetups, and 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 then teaching the classes always in Toronto or in sometimes Montreal. And it um, there's a there's an energy of people in Toronto that. You know, it's kind of like, well, we know we're Toronto when we're not New York, but we're still pretty good. That's right. And and there's there's that, without really the arrogance that <laughs> that you might expect mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. So so that's one of the things I like about Toronto people. There's a certain amount of humility there. Was there something special about the agile community? Uh, I don't. Yeah, they were just they're they're funny. They're funny and they're hopeful. Hmm. Um, some of them are cynical, some of them are smart asses, but, you know, they're generally pretty good people. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're hoping I'm going to no, say. No, I was just curious. I always ask everyone, what's your take on the Toronto yeah. scene and why, it's, why it might be different, yeah. special, interesting, what makes us feel... Well, Toronto and I have always had an interesting relationship. I was born there, but I was raised elsewhere. My family saw fit to raise me elsewhere. And I went back as a sort of young person. I worked there for a while, and then I went out west, and I came back. I keep coming back to Toronto, and it always seems to be busier and bigger and yeah. tighter. And at a certain point, that stops being exciting. That's true. And it just becomes annoying. <laughs> this hurts. <laughs> 
<laughs> and there's so much to do there and you can't do it all <laughs> you know so uh, it's uh, it, yeah it's, 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 it's been a love-hate relationship with me in Toronto well I am glad you have found a place <laughs> that is you you know yeah, where you can so. enjoy and belong and um, I'm sorry we missed each other in person <laughs> in the city but I hope we have a chance to encounter each other and work together again someday yeah. this has been great getting to know you it's been a real privilege that's and lovely. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight. And I, I know my crew is <laughs> going to enjoy it. And um, I hope so. I, I really, I really appreciate your time. And uh, this has been a different one, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> okay, Chris. Thank you so much. Thanks Sue. so much. Have a great Thanks night. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. So that wraps it up for this time, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. You can find Sue on her website at itsunderstood.com on Twitter at It's Understood, and why not check out her book at talktomebook.com. Links are in the show notes. I thank you very much for joining me once again, and I'll look forward to next time.